at, at that point of what you're talking about is, is that uh, people tend to cover up their fear. Yeah. Another way of looking at it, though, is no, either intentionally or unintentionally, we become distracted. Yes. Okay, and in the fact that we're not actually looking at the fear until Donald Trump reminds us we should be afraid of immigrants. And then we can feel that fear. Yeah. Okay, because we've been reminded of it. Other than that, we are not thinking about it, even though it may be underlying in the sense that the fear mechanism is in gear, putting out just a little bit of fear juice, maybe adrenaline mixed with something or another, mm -hmm. on a regular basis. So we're just in a state of anxiety or worry, low grade, that we don't even know about. Yeah. And people go around like that. In fact, it's been known for a long time. There is an Arthur, um, oh gosh, who wrote this? Uh, Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau, wrote a book called Walden. And okay. in that, talked about men who lead lives of quiet desperation. That's his phrase. Yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? We live our lives in quiet desperation, and we don't yeah. want to look at the desperation. If yeah, exactly. Quiet, you can't bear to look at it. Mm -hmm. We don't want to look at it. Yeah. That's why part of this Anapanasati meditation requires some effort. Is because yeah, we're going to, to look. let that stuff up so that we can actually see it. Ah, <laughs> you don't like it so much. Right. So we begin to investigate that stuff that we have been uh, quietly trying to push away while at the same time it's been driving us. Yeah. But that desperation, in fact, or how quiet it is, it actually is the boss of the people who live lives of quiet desperation. Yeah. Everything they do factors in that desperation. Either one, to keep it quiet, or the two, to make it, um, um, yeah, to keep it quiet in the sense of not bringing it up. So we're going to do things to avoid our feelings. I noticed that in myself um, quite a lot. Um, now I don't feel like I experience that so much. Um, and, and, and when I do, it's very That's um, exactly the right way to do it. You investigate it and you begin to recognize something that used to be there is not there. Bingo. Yeah. This is what sunyata is all about. The sunyata? emptiness or the void or the things that we are, uh, are not there. Like the things that used to be there. Mm. Several examples the Buddha used of this is one is, is that while we are here in the woods, in the wilderness, in the forest, the forest is empty of a village. There's no village there in the forest. Right. Unless the monk is thinking village, and now the village is in the mind of the right. dude sitting in the forest. They're the village, but when there is no village in the forest, then yep. the mind should not it should be void 
void of village because the environment is void of village. Okay, so now that we understand that, we also begin to understand that the Buddha is actually saying, don't necessarily just keep paying attention to what is there. We also need to start paying attention to what is not there. What is no longer there. What it is actually empty of. Yeah. So is there self or are you now in this point altruistic and empty of your selfishness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's or, um, noticeable too. The difference between the two. Yeah. And so you're beginning as you're practicing to note that some things are mellowing out. Yeah. It's not the quiet in the sense of the quiet desperation. It's not the quiet that's being noticed it's the desperation is getting deeper or more quiet that you're actually yeah. getting desperation to go down to settle down that yeah. you need to begin to do so congratulations for that you're beginning to notice mm-hmm. the results of your practice yeah by noticing the things that used to be there that are not there so much now yeah it's um Ah, forgot about what I was going to say. Oh, well. <laughs> so, we can uh, incorporate that into the investigation. Mm-hmm. Now, there are many, many things to be investigated, but they all fall in the quality of the body, the feelings, and the mind, or the mind's objects, the Satipatthana. This is the four foundations of mindfulness. What are we thinking? What's the state of mind that we're in? And part of the state of mind that we're in, we begin to recognize that we can incorporate um, uh, modern psychology's states of mind Mm -hmm. to understand what the Buddha meant by states of mind. So we can begin to see, is the mind clear? Or Mm -hmm. is it full of bad feeling? Is there a, um, a dialogue between the parent and the child in there where the parent is telling the child what to do and the child is rebelling and doesn't want to do it. Yep. Those dialogues that we have on the inside quite a lot. Yeah, that Many conflict. Even have that conflict just to get out of bed. Yeah. Just to get out of bed in the morning, you know. The alarm get off, it went off, get out of bed. No, I'm not going to get out of bed. <laughs> what's strange, though, about that, well, not strange, but what's um, an interesting observation is... You know when you have something you want to get out of bed for, then you can just shake the sleep right off so easily and boom, you're just out of bed. Mm-hmm. Just putting your clothes okay. on. Think of it in the sense that we become inspired for something. Yeah. So I've been working on um, getting to that point as quickly as I can mm-hmm. as soon as I wake up. Because I, I'm, I'm quite good at waking up on time and just getting out of bed. But um, there's still the sleepiness there. And I've mm-hmm. been working on sort of just um, truly waking up as quickly as possible. Excellent practice, yes. Uh, wakefulness, that's part yeah. of the practice that the Buddha had. So um, that's an excellent point. Uh, not, but not just the waking up, getting up out of bed, but that point of inspiration. Remember the last time that we talked, we were looking at that word inspire. 
Yes. Because we were inspired by the Dhamma. Yeah. Now, well, in a conversation of Dhamma, we're already speaking of wholesome. We we're not speaking of unwholesome. Yes. Okay, you and I are not lying to each other or engaged in gossip or any of that kind of stuff. That We're yep. focused on the wholesome Dhamma. And that means that for both of us, there are no hindrances in the mind. That there's mm, clear communication. True. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> that's an important point. Yeah, while we're talking and discussing the Dhamma like this, generally the participants are free from hindrance, which is now automatically fairly close to the jhana. Yeah. Because that's the number one ingredient, is to have ho only wholesome thoughts and to not have hindrances. Yeah, we spoke about this last time. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, getting into the um, jhanic states while um, speaking dharma like this. And, yeah, I mean, um, it happens to me quite regularly, regularly when I speak with you. Um, yeah. Certainly, that's the intention. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And yes, it's... exactly. Let's get the students into a good state while they're talking yeah. uh, and mm, speaking to training. I suppose it's like sort of teaching the student how to do it without without telling them to go do it themselves. It's like teaching them to do it while you're teaching them. Uh, rather than yeah, how to say, it. giving an example. Or yes. teaching, teaching by this. This is it. Get yourself into a really good, happy state, and that's yeah. you know that that first John, because a lot of people have the mentality of this first jhana as being door, yeah, down. Uh, when when the uh, monk, if he's teaching in first jhana, he's going to speak in a monotone and speak in a way that the students are going to get fully inspired by because we take all of the animation out of it. There's no life left in this door kind of way. And a lot of people think that that's how the Dhamma talk should be given. Really? Yeah. I have seen them in, on the Internet. There are Internet Dhamma talks where the... Where the uh, uh, I'll tell you one uh, that I saw just recently was some of the ceremonies, the Buddhist ceremonies, are actually on television in Thailand. Right. You'd expect that. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, there's, there's probably more of it in Thailand than, than it is in uh, the U.S., but in the U.S. you have a lot of televangelists who pay enough okay. money to get on TV, right? Right. But this is different than that. Because this is just playing out the ceremony. And, and yep. uh, just recently, I saw that uh, several months ago, where the, uh, the very head monk that I have seen and known in, in public, he gave a talk for this television appearance, and he was as door as he could possibly become. Yeah. I've also seen Westerners do that. Of teach the Dhamma in a in a slow, drawl, monotone, with no life in it at all, as if this was the state of being that you will get into when you're in jhana or when you're enlightened. With so no do you life think the monk did that? Um, so do you think the head monk did that just because he 
wanted to wanted the audience to essentially be happy. If if all the audience expect it to be monotonous like that, then the monk did I that. I think that that's for what that reason. that's what I'm getting at is the expectations. That that's what modern expectations of a Dhamma talk is, is that it's mm. not rousing. Yeah. But right there in the sutras, the Buddha talk and uh, the translation is is the Buddha roused and encouraged his monks. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, yeah, so that arousal mm-hmm, to raise them up, to give them the inspiration, the can do that, I can do that. Yeah. That seems to be what's missing in a lot of uh, modern Buddhism, and I think that that, uh, which got started in Asia, was really bought into in the West, in Western Buddhism, because of the Catholic background. Catholic background. Yeah, the Catholic. Oh, we're not just a Catholic background, but I'm talking about um, uh, medieval European culture. Okay, so like okay, priests our, and our, stuff are always deep, like that as well. Our deep ancestry, our deep ancestry mm-hmm. about how people should relate to the world mm-hmm. is that the world is full of sin, and yeah. you have original sin. And everything is going to get good after you're dead or after Jesus' second coming. But right now is terrible. This is a waiting room, okay? That's the whole mentality for our culture, in fact. Well, if it's just a waiting room, you can still decide to enjoy the waiting. But they don't emphasize that. Yeah. That's the whole point is, is that our culture never does emphasize the very thing that people actually want in life. Mm, Exactly. They we keep, um, uh, let us say, bringing it back to a level of materialism because people can see objects. They know objects. Yeah. And that we take false sense of security in objects. Yeah. And it's so silly to think about that, isn't it? Just mm-hmm. like, just like, oh, this is my phone because I paid money for it, and it's um, it's a and it party. will protect me and take care of me. Yeah, exactly. When I start to feel bad. It will take me out of my bad feelings by giving me a distraction, and I can distract myself so that I don't have to think about or or look at how I feel. I notice that as soon as I'm holding my phone, I um. There are um, sensations of anticipation and excitement because phone is associated with that kind of thing, right? Um, when you're speaking to your friends or you're watching YouTube or something. And um, I, I notice that conditioning that happens as soon as I pick it up now. Um, and I, you know, I don't even do much of that anymore. So it's like it's, it's so deeply ingrained. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a little story that's very similar to the one that you were telling me about because it just happened last night. Right. Uh, as you know, uh, which PC that's going to be used in the moment is fluid right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. And so in that regard, logging on to the bank. All right. 
became problematic because they just didn't want just the user ID and the password. They wanted verifications and emails and also the PIN number off of the, the credit card. And okay. I couldn't get it going. Yeah. In the sense of getting on and I couldn't get in. And that was yesterday afternoon. And uh, both the phone call that I made and also my prior knowledge is, is that uh, it's not possible to talk to a human. That all you're going to get from the bank is uh, a set of AI recordings. The right. menu list. Do this, do this, do this, etc. That's all they're, they're going to give you. Right. And so I, ha I had to wait until the time when the, uh, the user would be on uh, or the... Um, the customer service people would be at work. Yep. And so every once in a while, I'd have that thought. And every time that I would think about, I'm going to have to call the bank, that little bit of niggle of feeling would come up. And so I started to say, I'm going to work with that so that I can think about the phone and not have that feeling arise. Mm -hmm. Because I do not want to start off with a, a feeling of discomfort when I make the call. Mm. All right. So the next thing is, because I'm hard of hearing, I set it up really well, taking the, the Bluetooth headphones off the computer and putting it on the cell phone, making sure that I could hear really well. Yep. Because that's the problem with making phone calls. So I did everything right. This, the next thing that happened was that I made the call, feeling good, mm -hmm. and got through to the operator. Right. And immediately, because I'm from the South, I immediately recognized that I had a fairly elderly black woman. Mm-hmm. Who was who was uh, a customer representative, and mm -hmm. that immediately clicked something. Mm -hmm. Why? Because black African or the black uh, African or American. You're uh, familiar with the accent. Yeah. Well, not only is it the accent, it's also the fact that the black society is fairly matriarchal in the sense that the black women have the power. Mm -hmm. So if you get a white woman on the phone. You can just do anything you want to her, and she'll be, yes, sir, I like that, and all that kind of stuff. If you do that to a black woman, she's going to let you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so that immediately put me on alert. I'm going to be really, really, really good to this lady. Yep. <laughs> okay. And we wound up having a delightful conversation. Ah, great. Which is completely against my style on the telephone because I'm always working and struggling and trying to understand and figure mm -hmm. it out and all of that kind of stuff. And this time when she didn't understand or I didn't, we just, you know, slept our way through it and got the business done and had a very, very enjoyable. I literally was able to make her day intentionally. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay. Because that goes against my grain, too, in the mm. sense of not being able to hear very well. Uh, and uh, uh, important, and she got me back online, and everything was cool. So I thought that I would let you know that that's when we can do things intentionally. Mm. But many times we'll call for a service representative, and then things never go right, mm -hmm. and everybody always winds up in frustration. Yeah, so you can be you can be aware of 
what's going on in the mind and you can you can behave accordingly mm -hmm. if we can get our mind unified yeah get ourselves into a good state then we can maintain that yeah. when we're going through a difficult situation like this communication that had to be done but I was able to get it done to lie. I was really pleased that, that this lady was in such a good mood when, when we finished. <laughs> yeah. So, um, this is actually then, uh, I didn't have to, let us say, sit in meditation and get myself worked up into it. Oh, yeah. But I could use the Dhamma and yeah. just do it. Okay, yeah. this is the point that it is fairly instant at that inspiration. I can handle this. Yeah. As soon as I recognized that I had a black woman on the phone, I said, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that I can do this because I know that she's going to be watching that if I give her any lip, she's going to let me know. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that I still, I I still forget about it when I'm working. Um, that's that's still the thing that I'm working on the most is um, trying to um, keep remembering while I'm writing code or reading code or talking to um, someone at work. Um, yeah, the rest of the time it's okay, I think. Mm -hmm. When we're talking to others is almost always the critical time. Okay. That basically a lot of the sitting meditation is get us ready for conversation. Okay. Right speech. Right speech. Uh -huh. To get the mind together enough so that we don't get uptight in front of the boss. For instance, yeah. we know the boss is coming, and we yeah. say, okay, I can handle this. I'm yeah. good to go. When the boss gets here, I'm going to deep breathe, and we're going to be high, happy and fine. Yeah. But most people, you get an email from the boss says, come see me right away, and goodness uh -huh. gracious, do you know how bad people can feel? <gasps> What's wrong? <laughs> they may be getting a raise. They don't know, but they're already feeling bad. <laughs> Stealing themselves, I guess, by beating themselves with a steel bar. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's that whole um, the uh, it's the authority mentality, isn't it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Rather than just two people talking. Yeah. It's always that structure, that authority, that one up, that uh, one up, one down hierarchy that yeah. is so strong in the West. Yeah. But it's not strong in the East. What they really have here yeah. is a, a network that is a family structure. Now, there is some hierarchy within the family, but most yep. of it is the kids are all kids. And mm -hmm. other than generational uh, respect, basically the whole family is just a great big network. Mm -hmm that this leads to something quite remarkable because I've seen Westerners here in Thailand not know how to do things and wind up making problems for themselves. Okay. In, 
Thailand, the whole idea is through Buddhism for each individual Thai person in their life to work out that it's okay for them to live the life that they were given by nature. This is your family, this is your situation, your job is to like it. And so everybody fits in and everybody's cool and everything works and it winds up in, in one regard is, is that the police in Thailand are not on a sting. Mm-hmm. They do not go out in public and looking for people doing wrong things so that they can get busted. The police stay in the police house mm-hmm. at the police station. And if you okay. need the police, you call them. Okay. Or you go in and you make your complaint and then the police will go about. In other words... They are in the service of straightening out difficulties between the individuals. But they're not patrolling. And they're they're not not patrolling. Why? Because they don't have that mentality of authority. Though Mm. they are cops and they are in the police, they're still human beings dealing with humans. In the West, cops are at a higher level. I'm bigger and better for you, and you better do exactly what I say or I'm going to beat the tar out of you. And they actually train them that way. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so that hierarchy then places the Thai people in the position of having an immediate goal to do is to get involved in and like the situation you're in. In Mm. the West, we have nothing to do with that. In the West, it's all changing. We have the old idea that where you are is, in fact, not good enough. You're right and spot on. Your job is to to get get yourself into a better place. Yeah. Never mind how you feel when you get there, because when you get there, you'll feel bad. And so now you'll say, that place is not good enough. Let me go someplace else. Yep. Up the ladder. Exactly. Okay. So that's where that greed is, is because no one is actually satisfied Yep. With how things are right now. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? If if everyone was just satisfied with it, the world would just be a much better place. Um, wow, there would be hardly any politics at all. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, the legislature would cooperate with each other, so any legislation that needed to be done, they do it, and then they go home. And by the way, then they don't have to raise money. Ha <laughs> ha. Right, take the money out of politics and and uh, um, the greed and the ill will and the lying that they do. If we could mm. take that out of politics, there wouldn't be anything left to politics. Yep. <laughs> it would be just a really easy. They would meet, they would pass legislation, then they'd go home. Yep. And let the bureaucrats do their you know whistle while they work and enjoy their lives. We could do a society like that. Yeah. Exactly. We don't have to. We do not have to motivate people through greed, and we don't have to motivate them through fear. Mm. The carrot and the stick. Yeah. Let let the donkey carry that wagon because the donkey enjoys carrying the wagon. Mm. Exactly. But then they say, "Well, he won't be so productive." Well, that's the whole problem. You're too productive. We need to stop producing so much and enjoying what we've already produced. Yeah, don't need to. That's the thing. Like, like everyone thinks it's about 
productivity and wearing people down, um, getting the most out of them. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, where does it end? Death. Yeah. But it doesn't end up in satisfaction. It doesn't end up in real retirement. Even the guys who retire and no longer work, now because they have identified with I am my job, when they lose their job, who are they? Exactly. It is really, really well known that uh, the common time for men in, in their uh, getting on in age to die is one, when their wife dies, or two, when they retire. Within oh. two years of retirement, they'll be dead. Okay. Widowers don't last. Widows last. Yeah. Women know how to cooperate with each other. Men don't. Therefore, yeah. when a man loses his wife or loses his job, he's lost his workmates, and that's the only friends he ever had. Yeah. He loses his wife. Now he's out of it, okay? His life is literally over yep. for him. And that's why they die so quickly at retirement. Yeah, that's interesting. Real mm. retirement is to say, wow, I've done that job. I'm glad that's over. Let me sit here and enjoy my life. Yep. <laughs> but we could retire every day. Yeah. Every day. We don't have to wait for 75 or 65 years old. We can retire every day. Wow, I'm just so glad that I don't have to do anything anymore. <laughs> I feel like every time I come back to the now, it's like... um. It's basically like retiring. It is. Retiring from the employment of the mind. The and it's girl, like, oh, there was all this stuff done. going on. <laughs> all of the hindrances, and that's what we mean by the word hindrance, because they hinder us yep. from being happy and content in this very moment. Yep, they just they get in the way of all that. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that recently, um, the whole cause and effect part of it, mm -hmm. how, you know, how certain things cause other things which cause other things and how it determines the mental states you get into, um, essentially how you're feeling and then like noticing what parts of it are like stressful and then adding things to that is not stressful you want to kind of clear it out mm -hmm. to make it less stressful and yeah but noticing a lot of that um physicist in trying to answer the question why is the speed of light the speed of light and under what conditions and what are the ultimate limits and in doing so, they have uh, basically discovered a fundamental law of physics. In fact, it's, it's so obvious, it's like, why didn't you guys figure this out before Newton's time? But they didn't. Okay. I guess they've got to go the long way around, okay? So really what we're talking about is that the cause-effect or conditionality or causality is the fundamental law of the entire universe. It's yep. the fundamental law of nature. Yep. We could not have had a universe 
if we could not have gone somehow from non-universe to universe. Something yep. caused, without some original cause, we don't know what it is. A lot of people want to blame God, <laughs> but we don't know what the original causes were. But we do know yeah. that there was a cause. Everybody agrees that something got it started. Yeah, I mean, but there that, has to be. But what we don't really fully realize is, is that that conditionality happens at a very, very microscopic level, at yeah. very, very high speed. It is so high speed, this conditionality, that that conditionality controls the speed of the electron going around the nucleus of an atom at light speed. Oh. Why does this thing that we haven't really gotten a hold of yet, literally we can't, <laughs> because it's not really an item, it's not a, a piece of matter, Mm. It's not a particle. It's a fluctuation in space. It's sort of like a little... Um, how it's energy, it? I guess. Yes. It's like a tornado mm. on the side of a planet. The planet that it's on is the nucleus, and the tornado spinning around is also spinning around this way. Mm. Okay? It's not really there. Why does that happen? The answer is we have to go right down to the fundamental laws of nature, the really fundamental ones, because this conditionality or causality is what is the responsible for gravity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gravity is the most weakest of all of our forces, and yet without gravity, we wouldn't have the really big stuff like black holes, planets, Mm. We wouldn't have planets without gravity. Yeah. These little rocks get together because they were pulled together with gravity, and now they too will pull even another couple of rocks together, and the next thing you know, over a couple of billion years, next thing you know, will be a planet. Mm -hmm. Gravity caused that. But what was causing gravity? What's the causality behind that? And we recognize that below that is the, uh, is the uh, um, electromagnetic force, which is what keeps the, that's what light is. That's what keeps the circling going. That's what keeps mm -hmm. the electron in place. But, yeah. um, but the question is, well, why doesn't it just automatically fly off? Why does it stay in the circle around a nucleus? It's got to have its own kind of microscopic little gravity for an electron to keep spinning around the nucleus. Why does mm -hmm. that happen? Okay, the answer to that is now what is called the nuke, the weak nuclear force. Right. That keeps the atoms, uh, excuse me, keeps the atoms together as an atom because it has the constituent component of the electron. These little whirlwinds, why don't they just blow off everywhere? Why does it require a metal that has, uh, what metal means is it's got three electrons. So that if mm -hmm. you push another electron in there, he's got too many, he wants to throw one out. Mm -hmm. Other things are just fine. You give an electron and say, thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel better now. <laughs> so it depends upon that. But the whole point is, is that what keeps the nucleus together? Because if you've got a big nucleus, you've got more than one proton. Well, wait a minute. Protons should repel each other. Positive force against positive force, and it rebels. 
The answer to that is they're the strongest force of all, is the nuclear, the strong nuclear force that's like a glue-on. In fact, that's what they call it, that glues the protons and the neutrons together in the nucleus. It's a very strong force. This is what gives us uh, nuclear powers when we can go in and break that thing mm-hmm. and split yes. the atom of the uranium, and it gives off a huge amount of energy. Why, yeah. What energy? Where did it come from? Yeah, that the splitting the of the atom. Of the strong force, the strong nuclear force that kept yeah. all of those protons and neutrons together. Okay, so where does the gluon come from? It just all gets infinitely ah, smaller, that's doesn't it? The causality. That's where we get down to the very basic causality. And now the pulling back again. Everything that happens is based upon cause-effect relationships at even this tiniest level. Yeah. And it, it happens at such phenomenal speed. And yeah. it happens within every atom and every molecule we have. Yeah, that's why so everything's what we're impermanent. What I'm talking about is, is that this cause-effect relationship happens to a billion atoms, a trillion atoms, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of trillions of atoms, all at the same time, mm. and then it does it again very quickly. Yeah. So fast that it's way beyond the speed of light. Yeah. There is no way that humans will be able to ever get to the point of measuring causality because we take so much causality just to build a um, uh, um, charge couple device or a, a you know the uh, electronic video. They can get it down to a billion frames a second, mm-hmm. so that you can actually watch light being started with a, la- uh, a laser propagate through um, a Coke bottle be reflected and reflected and see the sprays of light. It's unbelievable to see how light actually works. And we Mm -hmm. can do it because we can get cameras that fast. We can get a camera down to a billion second. That's that's a nanosecond. Mm -hmm. In a nanosecond, light travels 11 inches. Wow. That's fast. That's fast. 11 inches in a nanosecond, all right? But we can't do anything with cameras any below a nanosecond. Yep. So the question is, how did that light beam, whatever beam is, get 11 inches in that nanosecond? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> it's a, that's a interesting question. Yes, it is. <laughs> it really is an interesting question. And the answer to that is... At the Dhamma level, that we can go gain great insight and inspiration from the fact of look how fast and how much is happening around us. Yeah, yeah, um, permanent, absolute of activity. Yeah, we're part of it. We're in it. Yeah, I find it really. I think my my. Um, default take of things is that they are not solid anymore that they're not kind of fixed um at the when i notice them i don't i don't think of them as as um things which have an intrinsic 
kind of essence, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Because of that kind of thing, everything's always changing. and Everything yeah. is constantly in flux. Everything's changing. Yeah. Okay. And that means inherently any item or any compounded thing is subject to decay yeah. and falling apart. Yep. Every laptop crazy. will die. Talks when people speak about legacy, it just sounds so silly now. Um, it's like I have to do this for my legacy, or you know, it's, it's... oh, that kind of legacy. I'm thinking yeah. about uh, Cobol. <laughs> 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 Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, legacy software. No, I mean what you mean by when I'm leaving my legacy, right? Yeah. I hope I'm dead enough not to know what my legacy is. <laughs> <laughs> May the Dharma spread without any knowledge of Dharmarato. Well, I'm That's sure that won't happen. Well, who, who knows? The only possibility is YouTube, and YouTube could die. Mm, that's true. Mm, we don't know what's going to happen to the future. Yeah. So we do what we, we do. We have fun and enjoy it. And then that's it. Yeah, exactly. No need for a hope of a better future. The present's good enough right now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, when exactly. we can put that, that concept of the causality, that's really an important point. When we reckon, That's why the Buddha was so big on it. He, there was a lot of poly words that he talked about um, cause, uh, causality. Uh, and he knew about it 2,500 years ago. He probably didn't know the extent of it. Now yeah. down to the level that we've just been discussing. But he could see. He understood. Everybody else, the whole idea is, is that Here's where it comes from. It comes from the Brahmins started to lose control of their uh, power uh, somewhere in the vicinity of about 800 BC because there had been a lot of influx. This is many centuries before the Buddha. Uh, and that, uh, by the way, the research was that I'm talking about, I've got this from Dhamma Vitu, my uh, good friend. Um, He's a Nachan, been a monk for 28 years now. He lives okay. on the other island over here. He's a good friend of mine. Okay. And he's the one who was talking about this in a lecture that I, I got. So I'm kind of repeating him. Sure. And I'm saying that because I don't have, how to say it, I am not, and nor do I ever intend to be skilled in the Rig Vedas. Or the in Rig the Brahma Vedas. The Vedas, the Rig Vedas, the Brahma Shad, uh, the Upanishads, that kind right. of ancient. Uh, okay, Indian he stuff. was into that. The Indian yeah. stuff. That's what we're talking about. Okay. That the Upanishads or the uh, Rig Vedas or whatever it was at that time started to make a change. Right. And the change came because the Brahmins brought something new in to try to shore up their loss of power. And so the, the basic thing, point goes like this. We are Brahman, and we are the priest, and we do all of the priestly duties and hold all of the priestly powers. And we are the priest because we were born into the caste of priests, the Brahmins. 
and the you, karma thing. And you, well, exactly, here we go. <laughs> and you were not born as a priest, mm. as a Brahmin. Therefore, the reason that that happened was because we were good in the past, and the reward for us being good in the past is now we're born Brahmin, and you were bad boy. And mm-hmm. so you, I've already failed, and you don't get to be born as Brahmin. Mm-hmm. That's where all of that came from. That's the source of the law of karma, mm-hmm. which then gives the idea that whoever did that good deed back then is now reborn as this Brahmin today making those statements gives the mentality of a continuation or a constitu or a continuously this is not there. Mm. That what is there now is conditioned upon what's happening right now. Yep. Conditionality. Not something that happened hundreds of years ago. Yep. So that's where this law of karma came from, and the Buddha was absolutely dead set against it. Mm. He did admit and would uh, advise that there are good actions that do give good results, and there are actions that give, do can be considered bad because they always will give bad results. Yep. However, most of human action is mixed, giving yeah. mixed Yep. So much so that it's very hard to find an actual good action. Yeah. An example of that is the starving man. You give him something to eat, and now his tummy is full, and he feels satisfied. Good action gives good results. Yeah. That's a good example of it. However, the penalty on the play, half the crowd's tears and half the crowd's wards in anger. Mm-hmm. So was that penalty flag a good action or not? That's a thing, well, isn't it? Everything Good and is bad mixed. is mixed, exactly. It depends on, it's a subjective thing. Mm-hmm. It's both good and bad. Yeah. That's the reality of it. But there is a fourth kind of karma that is the karma that leads to the end of karma. Yeah. That's an important concept. The action that leads to the end of action. Clear example of that is the police want to stop the traffic. They put up a roadblock. A roadblock is an action that start a bit um, brings about the end of action. Mm-hmm. The cars don't go anymore because the road's blocked now. Okay, so yeah. putting up a roadblock is an action, and it prevents another action. So this is the kind. This is the mentality because a lot of people don't understand that. They say an a- action that leads to the end of action, and then they say in a generalized way, all action is just action. No, we're talking about a specific action will come about to bring the end of the action a diff- of a different action. So basically, it's like you don't want to do all these things which would be sparked by passion. There is just no interest in that, in doing those things. Exactly. All right. And how did we bring that about? It's because we took the action of investigation to see that that unwholesome behavior was, in fact, unwholesome. Yes. Yeah. So there's more to that in that in the sense of uh, good and bad, because this kind of action is neither bright nor dark is not either good nor bad, and the yeah. results are either good nor bad. Yeah, now, good or bad don't be? apply. 
because it doesn't apply. Yeah. In one way, it doesn't apply because we're not making merit. We're not trying to do good things to get a good future. Not doing bad things or, either. Are we doing bad things that are going to bring bad results later? We're not yeah. harming anyone. We're not doing anything to cause um, that uh, to bring about a result. Mm. So that's the kind of action that we would have that will bring about non-action. In other words, if you can bring yourself through action to the point of desire, uh, desiring nothing, then you're not going to take the action to go out and get that. Yeah, that exactly. Want. Okay. Um, now, we can. there is a different kind of action, and that is desiring desirelessness, but that's just more desire. Yeah, exactly. Wanting to be free from desire is just wanting. Yeah, exactly. The better thing to do is take the action to just finish it off. Yeah, just do it. Be immediately free from it. Yeah. And so we apply that at that point of um, the waking up or at the point of sati. Mm. And we do the investigation to see that that thought is unwholesome. So now we're going to take the action of a new thought to put in the brain. The new thought is, aha, I see you, Myron. Mm. The new thought is a thought of inspiration, a yeah. new thought of insight. So that new action that we're taking actually then brings about the end of the old action, which was a hindrance. Yeah. That's what they mean when they say um, the karma for something has been exhausted because you've literally exhausted that intention. Well... Uh, the word exhausted has trouble. Is it a bad a translation? Of, in fact, I have seen people in Buddhist groups say that, oh, you should not take any action. If you want to get to the point of non-action, then you have to start with non-action, which is bullshit. Then they say <laughs> that, the, um, that the defilements will become exhausted. No. The, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the is not because it's, it's part of the habit system. It's not going to get exhausted until we take the, the, the actual action to put up roadblocks. Okay, yeah. So we put up roadblocks in the mind to prevent this bad action or the bad um, uh, traffic. The roadblocks become intuitive though, right? They... they, they... Because sometimes I can, I, I feel like I can almost sense that something's leading to an unwholesome place and I just intuitively just, just, I just stop doing it. It's not intuitively, this is wisdom. You can sense, maybe non-verbally, but you know that you're heading in the direction that's going to lead to dukkha. Yeah. That's budding wisdom. That's exactly what you want to do. Yeah. You want to to, to um, actually get into that sense of seeing this nonverbal. That you just sense that this is going wrong. Yeah. People do that all the time. This is how arguments actually end, is when people sense that this argument is going wrong. Yep. Yeah. In other words, if you don't shut up, I won't beat the crap out of you. <laughs> 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 okay, so I'll shut up. That's yep. the new action that leads to the end of action. And that's the end of that. Uh-huh.
And so the whole point is, yeah, shut up. If yeah. you shut up, the argument is over. Yeah. Okay, that's how you bring an argument to an end is by taking the action of closing your mouth. Yep. That was a good action. <laughs> now, if we can do that, then that's a good point of when we begin to uh, get into an argument or when we just start. We can recognize how, how soon can we catch that argument? How deep are we going to go into this argument before we catch it? I used to get into arguments like all the time, like my whole life. And as of recently, like I can't even remember a time when I've been like in the last few months, I can't even remember when I've been so angry. Like it's uh, I just don't get into arguments anymore. Mm. Why? Because you can have the wisdom to see, wait a minute, let's not go there. Yeah. Like, I used to get into so many arguments. It's incredible. And now your old arguing buddies, they're surprised because you won't argue with them anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've noticed that too. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, it's that awesome. shows good success. I'll have to congratulate you for that one too. <laughs> yeah, if you could see enough that you don't get into arguments anymore... That's a major link forward. In fact, I think that it was you and I that had the, the talk on the fourth better. Yeah. Because that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, we don't well, get I into arguments. Senses of ill will or aversion. Um, but, I, but arguments, definitely, they just don't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no place for an argument to come from without ill will or aversion. Mm. Yeah. You see that other friend of yours is broken and he needs to be fixed. And I'm going to yeah. fix him. Yeah. <laughs> That's what an argument is. And everybody has that kind of um, underlying. Uh, they may not think it out loud in their own mind, but that's the underlying thought. Yep. Of he's wrong. He needs to be fixed. And I'm going to straighten right. him out. Yeah. Exactly. And there's always like... Reddit is full of it. <laughs> There's always anger that comes with it. And because you're getting angry, you're kind of speaking from the anger as opposed to wisdom. kindness, exactly. I suppose. Bliss, yeah. Right. If we had wisdom, then we could be kind. If, if the whole point is to convince somebody of something, then let's spend our time that way rather than upsetting them so that they get into emotional state that they cannot be convinced about anything and that's what arguments yeah. are by the time an argument starts both sides are so worked up that they can't hear they just yeah. can't they cannot hear or understand what the other person is saying because they've already gotten the point of i'm right and he's wrong yep exactly so, if you can bring yourself out of anger, or excuse me, out of the arguments, and be, uh, then you can bring yourself out of the anger that brings on the arguments. In fact, if you can stop an argument before it starts, that means that you're actually able to stop your anger before it starts, or before yeah, it gets out, before it gets loose. I still feel some anger sometimes, um, as in, well... Quite a lot of the time there's anger and irritation, but it doesn't get to the argument level, which is great. Um, yes. Congratulate yourself for that. Yeah. Because you're, you're a winner. This is great stuff. If you can catch yourself yeah. before it goes verbal, 
You're on the way. That's great. Excellent. So that's in the right direction. Picking things up quickly. And so you'll begin to see, because underlying the actual arguing, you could say, in fact, the arguing would be Tanha thirsting for yes. him getting it. Okay. Yeah. Before, or actually, um, underlying that is the anger itself, but underlying that anger is fear. Yeah. And that fear comes from the, the feeling of not liking. I don't like what he said. What he said is wrong. It may be dangerous. And so a little bit of not liking will go through a very quick step of fear into anger if we're ignorant. But now that you're waking up and beginning to see those processes, you can stop it very quickly. And now you're able to stop it before it gets into the actual argument itself. Yeah, the uh, the fear and the anger is like is kind of the way I think of it is like you know when you have an um the saying about an animal trapped in a corner, mm-hmm. like that, um that kind of highlights how the fear causes anger. Exactly right. When an animal feels cornered, what does that mean? That means he's desperately afraid. Yeah. When an animal feels desperately afraid, he's dangerous. Yeah. He's gonna get exactly. really violent. Because he's yeah. trying to protect himself. And we can naturally call that angry. The animal's really not angry. He's just defensive. Because mm. the real issue is fear. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's basically what's going on. And the fear comes from the not liking. Yeah. So he said something and I didn't like it. Yeah. If I can catch that and say, oh, I didn't like what you said, then we're good. Yeah. But if he says something and I don't like it and I let that boil just a little bit and gets hot just a little bit, then you can say, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. But the real issue was is that we didn't like it. Yeah. But why do we have to then go through that? It's almost like the, the pulling of the trigger of a gun. If our gun's not loaded, no problem. Yeah. I notice it's like um, you can you can feel... You can feel the sensations kind of bubbling up, right? And then, and then you can act on them, or you can just not act on them, and they mm-hmm. just, they just right. you can, go away you can again. Wet them, you can wet them down with meta or some analogy like that so that you don't keep your powder dry. You get it really wet, <laughs> so when it goes off, there's nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's an analogy. So it's it's a sequence of events, a cause and effect relationship, mm. and that the point that, uh, in that cause effect system is at that point of contact when the feelings arise. If we're wise at that point of contact, so as we can see this feeling arise of I don't like what's going on. Now I have a completely um, new way of behaving. In the sense of now we can behave with wisdom, yeah, rather than by pattern or by habit or by uh, automatically going from I don't like it, something's wrong, I got to do something about it. Yeah. And so that I don't like it or I like it. That's a key key point. 
if we are really ignorant, it goes like this. I like it. I want it. It must be good. It must be goodness itself. The other yeah. side is, I don't like it. Therefore, I, do, I want to get rid of it because I think that it's not good. It's bad. Yep. And in fact, it's completely bad. All right. So there's where good and bad comes from. Good and bad does not come from the judgment from wisdom, which yep. means successful or not, valuable or not, wholesome or not. Yep. But whether we go with it's good and bad based upon whether I like it or not. If I like it, it must be good. Yeah. If I don't like it, it must be bad. And it's a whole lot of kind of me, me, me in there. Um, Precisely. And, and also when there's, I notice when there's aversion to something, then there's also, then the mind deceives itself by thinking that it, it desires something to feel better about the aversion for something mm -hmm. else. Yeah, now that we feel bad because we don't like something, we want to set it back up. Yeah. So one of the methods is go hurt the person who said that and made me feel bad. Yeah. Or the other one is to, like you're talking about now, let's go get, a, okay, time for a donut. <laughs> yeah. Don't have for time for donuts and coffee. I don't like what you said. Meeting's over. I'm going for donuts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We try to reward ourselves, or another way of thinking about it is putting the mind somewhere else that's more pleasant. Escaping. Which is not a basically. bad idea, but we could do that without the harm of the donut itself or the breaking up of the meeting. We could just say, Yeah, I didn't like that one. Yeah. But now that, we can. That's the whole point, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, this is of what the real issue about conditionality or cause and effect is. We can see in this situation that Paticca Samapada, in fact, that's what it means. We yeah. translate it that is into dependent origination, which means yeah. things originate or they arise because of. They're dependent upon something. Exactly. There's another word in Pali that's called idiopapajayata, if I can get that one right. <laughs> idiopapajayata is possibly uh, the way of talking about directly the um, cause and effect to where Paticca Samuppada is an example. Right. Okay, Pitika okay. Samapada is an example of the cause effect to cause effect that happens inside the mind. Idiopapajayata is broadly cause in effect in general. Everything is just constantly in turmoil, constantly changing, constantly in flux, which brings about a Nietzsche. Everything is, um, is temporary. Yep. But many people, when they're learning Buddhism, they begin to remember anicca, dukkha, anatta, not as a real precise way of looking at things, but rather just some school thing that needs to be memorized. Yeah, I, I see why that would happen. Yeah, Yeah, a lot of people, uh, they were really interested in Buddhism, but then they see many of the things in there as not pieces to the puzzle but rather things that they've got to learn because it's part of the curriculum.
Yeah. I mean, it got it comes with the whole idea of religion, doesn't it? That kind of thing. Or it's more things right, to... Because the rewards for all of this are way off into the future. Yeah. Exactly. And so bringing those rewards back to right here, right now, this is where we're going to get our happiness. Yep. Now we understand. That's the real cause and effect. Yep. The cause we're looking for is to see what's going on, to take inspiration, and the result of that is satisfaction and ease. Yeah. Which is also the way of saying the action that leads to the end of action. Or let's put a yeah. new cause in this. Let's throw a monkey in the, a wrench in the works. <laughs> yeah. That's the way of looking at an action that brings the end of the action. <laughs> By throwing a wrench in the gears. <laughs> Someone once um, mentioned a, a way of a way of thinking about it is just don't get attached. Except that that word attachment needs some investigation because some things are worth attaching to. Okay. That there are, in fact, well-known within the teaching of the Buddha, in fact, precisely within Paticca Samapada, when it's talking about upadana, or the actual clinging. Right. There's only four modes of clinging. Four modes of clinging. Only four modes of clinging. And yet, you just made uh, the statement that many Buddhists make is don't attach to anything. Oh, no, there are many things worth attaching to. But there are four modes of clinging that will take you into a woeful state. Wanting something that you don't have will make you a preta, yeah. a hungry ghost, something you yeah. can't get filled. Okay, anger will put you in hell. Oh, that kind of four modes of clinging. Okay, yeah. Yeah, those four modes of clinging. Okay. Okay. Uh, doing things because you're told to do them. Yeah. Rather than because you want to. That's the animal. Mm -hmm. You become a draft animal to your boss at yeah. work. He, you do what he tells you to do. Because you think there's going to be a reward in the future for it. Yep. Eventually the donkey is going to get that carrot. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the promise. That's why you dangle that carrot in front of the donkey to get him to pull the cart. Yep. You don't want to give him the carrot, he'll stop walking. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> so, or if the carrot gets old, let him have the old carrot and we'll give him the new carrot to want. <laughs> yeah. So that's that whole mentality of having to postpone our uh, the result Enjoyment. of our action. Mm. But Paticca Samupada, or cause and effect, or Idiopapajayata, is pointing at no. It is not delayed. You either get your result, or you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you can't say, I'm going to practice now and get bliss five years from now, or after I put in 100,000 meditation hours, or... <laughs> whatever like this that the mentality goes. No, if you can't make yourself feel good right now, then you can't make yourself feel now a minute from now, a month from now, mm -hmm. five years from now. 
Yeah. If you can do it now, then that's what we need to do. Is let's do it now. Yeah, it's all about the now. It's um. Yeah, and that's why, that's how the whole free will ties in because you can do things in the now. You're not kind of bound by the past, or you're not bound by what what's coming we're up. Not necessarily bound by the past, where in fact a lot of people are. Yeah. Being bound by our past is basically means that if we're in the habit of doing this and this and this and this, that same this over and over again, then it becomes our destiny because we're more than likely going to do it again. Yeah. Giving, giving points like he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Yeah, you just think, you think, oh, that's me. That's just who I am. That's me, that's who I am, right. Can't the be permanent changed. self. That's the permanent self. The yeah. destiny. Okay. But if we take the effort to wake up, to see those habits, to interrupt that action, to take the action to interrupt that over and over and over again, then we in fact can create will. Mm. We will do what we want to do because we're no longer bound to do things the way that we were trained to do them. Yeah. Ah. Well, if we can do that, then that means that it was actually some expense. We did have to take some effort. We did have to put out right effort. It was not completely free. Yeah, that's Therefore, true. It's not free will. It's expensive will. <laughs> but it is will. Yeah. We will do it. We can do it. That's the whole point of, in fact, that's an interesting aspect about uh, right attitude. The right attitude is just, I will. <laughs> mm -hmm. We will. We will do it, yes. Okay, so um, that's actually, um, in that regard, the free will, because it is free from the destiny. Yes. It is free from the habit patterns of the mind. Yeah. Now, that destiny or that habit pattern that we've got into, for some people, feels so powerful that only a god could do it. And yeah. therefore, that is my destiny. My God has already decided what my future is going to be. That's my providence, or that's my, uh, what is it? There's a lot of words for it. Um, providence, destiny. Uh, uh, path. Pardon? Path. That's my path. That's my path. Okay, yes. Uh-huh. Exactly. And it, it has the quality that we can't change. Yeah, my um, my my granddad always used to speak about how everything is written. You know, your whole life is written already, and for all bad things that happened, he would say, "Ah, oh, well, if it was written to be that way, then it's all right." You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, the next yeah. time he says that, if he's still around and still alive, hand him a pen and a piece of paper. Yeah, he, um... Then ask him, does, is this piece of paper already written? <laughs> Do you want to write something? You can write too. I've heard my mum say that too, and, um, yeah. Thing is, I don't, like, I, I, I don't think I could change, like, they're too set in stone. They're, their beliefs are too set in stone for me to change them. No, they have I no feel like that. 
strange. Yeah. They exactly. have no insight. They have no inspiration to change. Yeah. But I bet you walk into the room in a really, really good mood and start teasing him. He will change just because of the mudita, the sympathetic vibration. You can that, get him in yes. a good mood. You can. That, yes. But it's still, I don't think it could shake his beliefs or okay. any of their beliefs. Um, well, that's because the insight is not deep enough. Yeah. Or it's not really insightful yet. Yeah. But if, if he could come across, hey, all of his problems he made himself. If he could come to understand, that's in fact why the second noble truth is so important, so powerful. Mm. That all of one's suffering comes from greed. If he wasn't yeah. greedy, okay, why is his greed written? Who wrote his yeah. greed? Okay, almost mm. all of our behavior besides that is written, is done with ill will. We mm. vote the way that we do because we don't like those people over there. Yeah, exactly. Right? Who wrote? the ill will who wrote that i don't like them into his mind it's all um so because i've i've grown up in in the hindu environment um i think it's because there is a big there's still a big sense of identity caught up in it you know so it's all um and and it's it's the fear that there is nothing to protect you, so you kind of you you allow these things to kind of these rules and religious things to kind of protect you. I think. Mm -hmm. Right, but if he had the insight that it, things weren't dangerous and he didn't yeah. need protection, okay, yeah. so people can't. Yeah, all right, but that's going to take insight. Yeah, that's the inspiration. Okay, that's what happens between the Dhamma student and the Dhamma teacher, is because yeah. they're both in it, okay? To yeah. where when you're talking to him, he's half in the hindrance. He's not really listening to what you have to say. If he could yeah. hear you without mapping it on to what he already knows and just take it in directly, he might get some insight from it. But he's mm. not your job. Here's something interesting along that, that way. Because it's very much built into the way that we, that we do things. And that is, here I've got something that I'm getting, that I'm practicing, and I'm getting benefit from. I want you to get it, too. And he says, no. And now he, says, now he say, okay, well, it's my job to make him get it. <laughs> okay. Well, guess what? We haven't even gotten it completely ourselves yet. Exactly. If we got it completely ourselves, we wouldn't be too much worried about whether he's going to get it or not. That's yeah. up to him. If he's interested and curious, I'll tell him all about the Dhamma. But if he don't want to know, I don't want to tell him. So I want, I want everyone to know it. Um, but I feel like... I feel like I don't... I feel like I shouldn't be trying to make them get it so much. Um, that's, that's a, it's a pitfall. Okay. Yeah. Many ways we can show you that it's a it, that it's a pitfall, because 
he will be inviting you into his space. If you know how to pace and lead, then you can go into his world to pace him in order to bring him out. That's exactly why Jesus went into the brothels and the places where the priest says, you shouldn't be going there. Mm-hmm. And he says, yes, that's exactly the right place to go because I want to talk to these people if yeah. they will listen, if yeah. they've got ears to hear, okay? But that Jesus had that skill that you don't have yet. Yeah. If you can't clean out your own mind, then how can you possibly help somebody else to clean out exactly. theirs? Yeah. Exactly. Ah, ah, ah. That's why okay. there was... Um, uh, I uh, there was something about um, a certain Arhat who would go down to the hell um, realm and spread Dharma there to bring the people out of it, and 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 there's a reason why it was the Arhat who went down there and did it, mm-hmm. um, because the Arhat. Anybody came. else goes down there, they're in hell. Yeah. <laughs> the Arhat go down there. <laughs> exactly. The hell is still outside, it's not in. Okay. Yeah. That's the whole idea about that. But yeah. in that regard, the hell is a metaphor for yeah. going around people who are really uptight, angry, and we can be fine. Yeah. Just exactly. So you're angry, you're angry. You're not, you're not um, affected by any of that. Not affected by it. Exactly. Because the mind is strong now. It's been, let us say, exercised or pumped up to the point that those kind of things don't bother. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but when we try to, re- to recognize, in fact, you can use him not as a student for you so that you can teach him the Dhamma. A better way is to look at that him as so yep. that you can see what not to do that's um yeah i i i uh that's what i'm like um with uh with uh, a lot of the people that i'm around nowadays yeah yeah they're all our teachers wow look at them <laughs> i'm glad you know there but for the grace of my own mind i go yeah yeah i feel like i can learn from everyone in that way um yeah. Well, anyway, this has been a very interesting talk. Yep, as always. I I hope that you've gotten some value out of it. We've gone yep. in many different Definitely. places, but uh, um, the the point, uh, I guess, would of this talk um, would be what? What would you call this if you were going to give it a title? How everything comes together, how it all relates. Okay. I think. Okay. Because we spoke I about all these different things. That conditionality. Something Sorry? like this caused that. <laughs> it's caused that, exactly. Cause and effect. All right. Well, we'll see you later. Yeah. See you, Damarato. Enjoy your, your uh, practice. Enjoy your. Enjoy. Yep, will do. Okay, see you. Bye.